And our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew, just three verses in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. And then Tom is going to come and preach on these verses. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Tom, I'd invite you to come, and I'll just pray for you before you bring God's word to us. Father, thank you for Tom and for Joe and for Tim. Thank you that they are able to share this weekend with us. And Father, we do pray for Tom now as he brings your word to us. Father, we thank you for all the preparation that he's put in, um, and we um, trust that you have spoken to him um, and that what he has to say to us this morning is what you want us to hear. So I pray for him as he preaches, and I pray for us as we listen, that we would hear what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It is good to be here. It's been a long journey, but it's good to be at this stage of the journey. It feels like a long, long time that, that myself and Joe and Timothy have been, been anticipating this weekend and looking forward to it. And as soon as we got in the car yesterday morning to, um, to come up here, um, I certainly felt a sense of relief, a sense of peace that finally... We're here. And it was brilliant yesterday. It was really, really nice to, um, to have time um, meeting people at the hub and spending some time having really good conversations. And sorry for those who, who we didn't get to speak to, but, um, uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll have an opportunity um, at, some point, at some point, either today or in the future. Um, I was really grateful last night. I've had this, this morbid fear that there was going to be a Bible round in the quiz. So I, I thank those who were responsible for writing the quiz that there was, there was not a, um, a Bible round. I'm very grateful for that. It's always, uh, it's always a worry when you're a minister and you get to a quiz and you see a Bible round. But, uh, but no, that was great last night. It's good to be here this morning. Now, as I was praying about this morning and asking God what I should bring as the, what message he wanted us to, to explore this morning, I felt really led to this passage. And as I've been praying it through, I just thought, let's, let's just address the elephant in the room. This is, um, this is a part of a process of discernment. And this is a process of discernment where you, uh, you and us and God are working out what the best thing is for the future, for the ministry here at NBC, and for our ministry as well. And it's important to acknowledge that, because otherwise I'm going to stand here preaching and not wanting to, 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 to acknowledge it, and um, uh, it's just going to be an elephant in the room. So let's just acknowledge that from the word go. This, this is exploring whether or not we are at the start of a relationship. Now, any relationship at the beginning, it, it's not going to succeed if at the beginning a set of shared values aren't established. For instance, if two people go into business together 
and they don't discuss what their, what their um, uh, main values are. And one of them, it turns out, is absolutely determined to make as much money as quickly as possible and doesn't care what upset is caused on the way. And the other business partner is very, very concerned with ethical trading and making sure that the company does the right thing and puts, puts people and ethical correctness first. That business relationship is not going to work. Very quickly, there's going to be a split as the two business partners discover that they do not share the same values. Or take a man and lady who come together and begin have a, have a courtship and begin talking about marriage. If they don't talk about the fact that um, that she wants to live just around the corner from her parents and he wants to go and live in the Bahamas, it's not going to work. He's going to find himself living around the corner from her parents, because that's the way these things work. <laughs> but it's not going to be a happy, successful relationship. So it's important that, from the word go, any relationship has shared values. And in this passage, Jesus doesn't talk about values, but he talks about treasure. Treasure is the word that we use to describe something that is precious to us, something that beguiles us, something that we want, something that makes us go, oh, wow. When we say it to a child, they might think of buried treasure and pirates and all that exciting sort of stuff. And indeed, there are, there are treasure hunters in the world who go around the world searching for, for sunken wrecks that were laden with gold or, or buried treasure. Apparently, some of the, the pirates... Um, from hundreds of years ago, there are still stories floating around that they, they buried treasure and only they knew where it was and it's there somewhere, untold riches. And there are people who, who spend their lives searching for this sort of thing. And they normally make documentaries and make money that way. They don't actually find the treasure, but it's interesting. But Jesus wants us to make sure that our treasure what we perceive as valuable is in line with what God perceives as valuable. When Joe and I first, um, well, not, not when we first started going out, we, we got together at school, childhood sweethearts. It's lovely, isn't it? Ah. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, well, once we've been together for a few years, we, we, we decided that um, uh, we were ready to get married. And I thought, right, okay, things are getting serious. This is, this is great. You know, she's fantastic. I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm punching above my weight, but this is really good. I'm going to impress her. Now, um, she, she's um, a great singer. I don't think you mind me sharing that, do you? Too late if you do, but um, we'll... <laughs> But she's a fantastic singer, and um, uh, it's always been very into music and everything. And I, I have absolutely no musical ability at all. I sing similar to how I preach, with very few notes. Um, but I thought, right, I'm going to impress her. I'm going to take her to the opera. Brilliant. The opera. Hey, she's going to love that. Um, so I booked these tickets for Madame Butterfly, and it was up at the Barbican in London, and we both worked up there at the time. So we met after work, and we went to, to the Barbican, I took our seats, and the, the performance began. And when I'd given Joe the ticket, she was really, really chuffed, really pleased. Oh, Tom, that's a lovely thought. Thank you. I know it's not your sort of thing, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That's great. After about five or ten minutes, I thought to myself, I've, I've never been to an opera before, but not much singing, is there? 
After about 20 minutes, I thought, this must be the karaoke version or something. And at the interval, I went up to one of the um, stewards and I said, excuse me, this is, this is an opera. I've not been to an opera before, forgive my ignorance, but what's, um, what, what about the singing? And he said, sorry, sir, this is, this is Madame Butterfly, the ballet. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I went back to my seat and, and when Joe had stopped laughing... When Joe stopped laughing at me, she said, don't worry about it. She said, it's the thought that counts. She said, I'm still really touched. In my defence, because I walked out of that theatre thinking I should have Made in Essex stamped across my forehead. What a faux pas. But in my defence, ticket, ticket Master or whoever it was had, had, had um, put it in the wrong category. So, so we did get a refund. So I'm not that culturally inept. But um, uh, it was Joe's reaction that stuck in my mind. It wasn't, you fool, how on earth could you make such a glaring error? It was, don't worry about it. I'm really touched. It's been lovely. And we still giggle about it every now and then now. Jo could have responded angrily, but she chose not to. She could have focused on the fact that the experience that she was looking forward to hadn't materialised, that the thing, the thing that I'd given her wasn't what she hoped it would be, that she was disappointed. But no... It was one of grace. And I use that as an example because it's so easy for us to get caught up in misplacing our values, in conforming to what the world tells us to do rather than conforming to what the Bible tells us to do. Jesus says here, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, in the, the, the listeners that Jesus was preaching to, his disciples and, and other assorted people, were in a culture where the two most valuable things were coinage and clothing. Now, clothing at the time, if you could afford to have brightly coloured flamboyant robes, that was a status symbol. That was the equivalent of, of putting up outside in the middle of the city in, in, in the plushest, most expensive Lamborghini. Most people just had very drab, functional clothing because they couldn't afford the flamboyant cloth and the, the rich materials that others could. Now, of course, if, if clothing is your currency, then your biggest fear is moths and rats and mice and other insects, termites and the like, anything getting in to your house which is going to see clothing and either make a meal of it or make a home in it. This was a big fear. Homes were very susceptible to any sort of insect in, uh, infestation. And so Jesus is speaking in the language of the people that, he li that, that are listening. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Now, let's just be straight. This is not a warning. This is not saying don't, don't take pride in earning, earning as much as you can. Take pride in earning as much as you can for God. Take pride in earning what you can do. Do your best in life. Have ambition. That's, that's okay. This isn't a, a teaching like the rich young man who comes to Jesus, and Jesus recognizes that the rich, man young, rich young man's wealth is his God. If we allow our material possessions to become 
the thing that is most important to us, the thing that is at the center of our existence, that means that it's displaced God. That means that God has been pushed somewhere to the periphery. If we allow that to happen, then yes, absolutely, we, we see ourselves as the rich young man. And we need to make sure that we do what we need to do in order to put God back at the center of our lives. But here Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have material wealth. He's saying it's wrong to allow material wealth to dominate our lives. God must be the center of our lives. And so how do we make sure that we do that? Well, he goes on, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, in the medieval Catholic church, this, um, this passage was used to encourage people to give everything to the church. The church got richer and richer and richer and built these incredible cathedrals and basilicas and, and, and people starved to death because they couldn't afford to put food on the table. And that was, that was what the medieval Catholic church taught as building up treasure in heaven. But it is an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, we know now that is, that, is not, that is not the right interpretation of this passage. But what does Jesus mean by treasure in heaven? Is, it, is he saying that we will get to heaven and there'll be someone standing there with a clipboard saying, right, okay, just check your account. Um, okay, right, you've, you've, done, you've done very well. Okay, um, you see, you see that, that, that large establishment over there with the stables and the golf course and the garden, tennis court? Yep, yeah, that's, you've done really well. Yep, that's, that's yours. And then the next person... Uh, you were lucky, you scraped in by the skin of your teeth. Um, You see the the tower block? Yeah, okay, on the 19th floor. Yeah, you've you've got a little window. It's it's not great, but, you know, you're lucky to be here. Is there going to be some sort of a hierarchy in heaven? That's not what the Bible teaches about heaven, that there's going to be some sort of a, a hierarchy, that building up treasures in heaven is like having a divine bank account. So what does Jesus mean here when he talks about building up treasures in heaven? We need to go back to shared values, don't we? If treasure is the thing that we value most, then what's treasure in heaven? It's the thing that God values most. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That verse tells us the thing that God values above all else. It tells us what God's treasure is. It tells us what treasure in heaven is. It's mankind. It's you and I. It's all the people out there in the city who don't yet know Jesus. It's all the people across the world. That's a pretty uncomfortable image, actually, when we stop and think about some of, the, some of the people in the world. Every week we might be, meet people that offend us and upset us. We know there are situations in the world where there is, there is what we might call pure evil going on. We think, how can, God, how can God love them? Surely they're an enemy of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. God wants each and every person on this planet 
to turn to him. There is no sin that anybody can commit which is too big that that salvation cannot be granted if they turn and follow Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, who is the the gate through which we we pass to, to access the Father, the one who has paid the price for our sin. Treasure in heaven is people. It's the souls of people. Christian funerals, although inevitably sad events, are also a celebration of the fact that the person that we love has now gone to heaven, is now in glory for eternity, because they're treasure in the eyes of God. And so, at the beginning of a relationship, we need to establish shared values. And we need to establish that actually sometimes we get our values wrong. We live in a world where the value system that we operate in, all of us operate in on a daily basis because, because we have to, really, but somehow this, this bizarre system of values has been established. Take, for instance, just need to adjust the angle, sorry. There we go. Take, for instance, this. This is a rock which... Um, Back in May, we were having a holiday in Cornwall, wandering along a beach, and Timothy was, was lobbing stones into the sea, and I suddenly noticed that while he was chucking stones with his right hand, in his left hand was this rock. And for some reason, I, goodness knows why, he decided that out of all the rocks on the beach, this one was a bit special. And I said, oh, Tim, it's dirty, put it down. He said, oh, can't I take it home? I said, no, put it down. I'm sure he put it down, but... Eight-year-old boys, being what they are, somehow he, he put it somewhere about his person. And when we got back home to Essex, this was sitting on the seat of the car. I thought, how did that get there? But you see, this rock, I, I'm no geologist. I don't know whether it's igneous, metamorphic, sedimentary, or, or one of the other ones. I don't know. But what I do know is that this rock would have been formed through a process of time and pressure and heat and all sorts of things a long, long time ago. And yet it is just sitting on the beach. And when I saw Tim pick it up, I didn't say, wow, you found something really valuable, that's amazing. I said, oh, Tim, chuck it away, it's going to be filthy. This rock has no value. But this rock is tiny in comparison. Look at that. And yet, this one was in a jeweler's window. And it was all shiny. Now, it's been formed by a process of pressure and time and heat and, and goodness knows what, other, what, other, um, what else has taken place. Um, it's, uh, it's diamond. And of course, we all think, oh, wow, wow, that's, that's valuable. That's valuable. But where's a sense in one rock being worth something, sitting in a jeweler's window, and another rock just sitting on a beach, worthless? That's a system of values that we work in. And, and as much as, um, as, as we, we try not to be materialistic, um, imagine if, if, a, if a husband or a, um, a, a boyfriend said to a girlfriend, um, I love you so much, will you marry me? Here's a rock. Not exactly going to be classed as the last of the great romantics, are you? We have expectations because we are, we are taught that some 
that some things have greater value than others, even though they're very, very similar. Another example. This piece of paper. It's a burger wrapper, for those of you who can't quite see. This sheet of paper. You go to McDonald's or wherever, you order a burger, and it comes wrapped up in this, greaseproof paper. We don't say, cool, hey, happy days, I'm keeping that, unless you're a preacher, in which case you see a sermon illustration there. But most people just screw it up and chuck it away. Because it's rubbish. It's simply the wrapper. The valuable thing was the burger. But it's just a piece of paper in the same way. This piece of paper, we all recognise that. And we know that there's value attached to that. We've, we're told that this piece of paper is rubbish and worthless, and this one is worth something. If you get one of these, then oh, you keep it safe. You certainly don't, um, don't, don't throw it away and discard it. Because there's value in a £10 note that doesn't exist in the burger wrapper. Two pieces of paper, but we have very different, very different values attached to them. God doesn't work like this. When God looks at us, whether we are a multimillionaire sitting in a mansion with life sorted, with more wealth than we know what to do with, or whether we are sitting on a street corner with nothing, stinking in a puddle of our own urine, with no prospects, no hope, not even sure if we're going to see out the day, God still loves us just the same. Heaven is a place of divine equality. Heaven is a place where each and every one of us, regardless of what we earn, what we do, what we achieve on earth, we are treasure to God. In the eyes of God, each and every person that we meet out there in the world is treasure, is valuable, is worth so, so much that God himself sent his only son to die on the cross for us so that we can have a path open to us. And if we follow that path, then salvation is secured in the name of Jesus. We were given a very clear mission statement by Jesus at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples, and it's the mission that is still relevant to all of us, his disciples today in the world. Now, that is not easy. That is not an easy thing to do. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do, we, how do we show that people are valued? We give them time. We take time sitting with people, listening to people, sharing with people, hearing people's stories and experiences and, and understanding why they feel the way they feel about certain things. We make people feel valued in a way that God makes us feel valued. If we can do that, then suddenly the Christian faith becomes a whole lot more attractive to the people that don't yet know Jesus. We are called to take the good news of the gospel. This is good news. There is a God who values each and every person in the world so much that he sent his son. 
But so often, we can be sucked in to conforming to the ways of the world, being too busy, not having enough time to talk to people, not having enough time to, to listen and to share, to make people feel valued. Or maybe we can see a need and think, I, pff, someone else can deal with that. I don't know how to do that. But as a church, as a church family, God brings together a group of people who bring all sorts of experiences and talents and resources, all sorts of motivations, all sorts of different, different cares for the world around us. All of us will have different things that really touch our hearts. And they won't be the same, and sometimes we'll think, well, why can't other people see just how desperate this need is? Well, that's because God is calling you to respond and to do something with it. And that's the beauty of the church, the body of Christ, that is, is a whole mishmash of, of different people, because if we were all the same, then we would do one thing really well, but we wouldn't do anything else. And God wants us to, to go out and be ourselves, but to be Jesus to the people that we meet. And we do that by demonstrating that we share heavenly values where people matter more than anything. One of my preaching heroes that I, I studied at when I was at college is an American guy called Fred Craddock. He died a few years ago, but he's a very influential preacher in the, the sort of 60s and 70s. And in one of his sermons, he, he, shared, he shared this story about two missionaries that he knew in the 1970s. It was husband and wife, and they were working in China. Now, being a missionary in China in the 1970s was a dangerous thing to do, similar, similarly as it is today. But they were there with their two children, and they had, a, um, they had jobs, and their, their, their um, mission work was sort of under the radar. But one day, they get a knock on the door, and it's the Chinese authorities. Somehow, they've learned about why, why this couple were in China, and they're placed under house arrest. And they were under house arrest for 18 months or so, not knowing whether they were going to um, face trial or imprisonment or whether they were going to be sent back to the States, not, just not knowing what was going to happen to them. It was a terrible time, but suddenly they get another knock on the door after 18 months of house arrest, and it's a Chinese soldier. And he says, says to the wife, I've got tickets, you and your husband... You're going to be on a plane, leaving China, going back to America. It leaves in two hours. You've got half an hour to pack. You can take uh, 200 pounds in weight of luggage. That's about 14 stone. The soldier says, we're going to be waiting outside. You've got half an hour. And so the door shuts, and immediately the husband says, oh, this is fantastic news. Thank the Lord. Thank you. We're going back to America. Great. And the wife says, but we've got to leave our, our home. That's, that's really sad. We've been here quite a long time. What about all our stuff? We can only take a very small amount, and we've got all these things. And so they start dividing up the house, and he says, well, I need to take my typewriter. Um, it, it's quite heavy, but I need it for my work. She says, okay, well, I'm going to take the sewing machine, so I make all the, all the kids' clothes, and, and that saves us a lot of money, so we'll take them. And then he wants to take his books, because he needs them for his work, but, but actually they weigh an awful lot, and she says, we can just replace them when we get back. He says, no, they're valuable. She says, well, I want to take this, the framed portrait of my mother. He says, really? Can't we leave that in China? That sounds like a great result. She says, no, and an, an argument starts, and before you know it, they're, they're, they're at each other, and they're disagreeing, and it's really, really unpleasant for half an hour. And then there's another knock on the door. The door opens, and the soldier says, half an hour, time's up. 
And they're barely talking to each other at this point. They, they're sort of, there's a lot of, a lot of tension. And the soldier says, have you got your luggage ready? And they say, yes, yes, that, that pile there. And he says, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's what we're taking, yeah. Okay. Haven't you weighed your children? And suddenly, in that moment, that couple realized what their true treasure was. They suddenly ignored the pile of stuff they'd been fighting like cat and dog over for half an hour. They called their kids down. They had assumed, of course, that the family had tickets, but it wasn't. It was just the, the husband and wife. The children were not included in the deal. They were part of the luggage. And the children were called down, and they were stood on the scales one by one, and they came to 14 and a half stone. And the soldier said, choose one. And they said, we can't choose one, don't be ridiculous. The children took off clothes, took off shoes, emptied their pockets, cut their hair, and eventually they got down to a, a, a smidgen under the weight limit. And so that family got on that plane, leaving behind all their material possessions, but with a renewed sense of where their treasure truly was. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this week, this month, this year, what remains of it, let's have a bit of a self-assessment. What is our treasure? How do we show where our treasure lies? How do we show people that we love them? How do we make time to share with people, to show the love of Jesus to those that we meet? There's so many opportunities out there. As we come out of lockdown, I know it's a frightening time for the church. We don't know who's going to come back, who's not. We don't know um, what's, what's going to happen, whether there's going to be another spike. We hope not, but who knows? We're living in a time of great uncertainty. But, but when the world is on its knees, it needs the church standing strong. And we have an opportunity here and elsewhere, the church across the whole country. We can either get bogged down and obsessed with the challenges or we can focus on a sense of opportunity. And that sense of opportunity at the moment is that each of us individually can do everything we can to show those around us that we love them, that we treasure them. There'll come a time when they recognise that you're so different to other people that they meet, that they'll want to know why. And that's when we bring Jesus and say, because of this guy. Because that's the way that Jesus taught us to treat one another. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my mind and all my soul. If that statement is true, then my reaction has to be that I love my neighbour as myself. We're going to finish this morning by singing Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace, I love the song. It doesn't mention Jesus. And some people say, what a worship song, it doesn't, it doesn't, mention, it doesn't mention Jesus. But it does. Jesus himself is amazing grace. John Newton was a slave trader. He, his treasure was people before he became to Christ. But he got his values completely the wrong way around. 
His treasure was the money he made out of taking people from, from their homes, putting them on ships in awful conditions, sending them across an ocean, and then selling them. That was his treasure until he experienced the saving grace of Jesus. And then his system of values, his treasure, was turned upside down. He went through a long process of remorse and reflection, and he wrote this song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If we want people to see Jesus, then first of all, we need to make sure that we see Jesus and we see the, 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 the values that he places on people and then we value them just the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, thank you so much for your word which teaches us new things every time that we turn to it. And Lord, churches up and down the country are facing challenging questions, facing difficulties, but we know that we have a God who is sovereign over all. We have a rock who, who doesn't change, who we can cling to through every storm, every difficulty, every challenge. Father, we thank you for being our, our rock during the pandemic, and we thank you that you are not changing Father, we thank you that you have always treasured the people that you create. And we thank you that by turning to you through Jesus, one day we will be in heaven. We will see you face to face. Father God, we, we look forward to that. But while we are still here on earth, we pray that you will guide us to do the work that you have planned for us here in Norwich, in, back in Billericay and Essex and further afield, Father, all across the world, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray for a renewal and a revival of the Christian faith. We pray that your Holy Spirit will reach out and touch hearts and change lives, that there will be an outpouring, Lord, of your love and your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And Father, we pray that you will inspire each and every one of us and show us individually how we can play our part. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.